What's going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, yeah, so today is actually my first uh, Father's Day as a father, and uh, although I'm... Thank you. Uh, my wife does all the work, first of all, but secondly, uh, I I'd be lying if I said that uh, today felt like an amazing day. I'm, I'm happy, yes, absolutely. Uh, but to be perfectly honest, since Wednesday night, uh, the shooting in, in Charleston, South Carolina at Emanuel AME, man, my heart has been pretty heavy. Now, normally I love to joke and I love to, uh, to celebrate what, what God is doing in this world and those different things, but, but man, the last couple of days, I've, I've felt like I had to work to be hopeful. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that before, uh, but one of my favorite people on Twitter, Christina Cleveland, she said, you know, contending for hope feels like a full-time job. In these last couple of days, I felt like, man, it's felt like work just to be hopeful. Now, as I got ready to celebrate Father's Day, I remember that Thursday, I, I came home, I looked at my son in a, in a, in a rocker, and I, and I couldn't help but think, but man, what about Reverend Clementa uh, Pinckney's family? Man, I wonder what they're going to be doing today. I wonder if his wife will even get out of bed today. I wonder if she'll just spend the whole day crying. I wonder what his kids are, are, are thinking about. Their daddy, a preacher, teaching Bible study, and, and he's killed. And man, that type of stuff is, is pretty difficult to even maintain a, a feeling of hope or optimism in the world. And that's devastated me this last couple of days. And, and I thought about the other eight beautiful men and women that were killed senselessly for no reason. And to be perfectly honest, man, hope is the last thing I felt. Now, there's been a number of things that have happened over, over this last year, and this one felt like the toxic cherry on top. And feeling hopeful is, man, it's one of the last things that's coming to mind right now. Last couple of days, I've really been struggling, and, and I've thought about it even in the lens of Father's Day. Hey, even if it's not the national tragedy that, that, that sweeps you away and makes you struggle to be hopeful, for a lot of people, man, Father's Day or any holiday for that matter is a pretty difficult day. Uh, for so many of us, uh, some, some of us in this room, you never even knew your father. You never had any good example of what your father is. Your father, you hear the word father and you hear the guy that drank away all the money. You hear the guy that was abusive to your mother. You hear the guy that left you and abandoned you. For others of us, uh, your father has cancer, or your father might have just recently passed away, or you might be selling, celebrating another Father's Day, uh, and today doesn't uh, mean Hallmark cards and, and a great day to laugh and to, to celebrate. It means mourning somebody who's no longer here. And for others of us, uh, listen, life has a way of dealing us hands at times, a hand that nothing is going as planned, uh, things in your life that are going anything but the way you had uh, hoped for and planned for. You might be going to wedding number 48 this, this summer as a bridesmaid, and you're still not a bride. And the way you had planned your life was much different than the way somebody else, uh, the, way, the way you had planned your life is much different than the way it's actually planning out. Or for you, maybe it's, man, you're in a really terrible relationship, and or you, you just lost your job, uh, the list goes on and on and on and on about all of the different ways, all of the ways that we could be brought to our knees, brought really low. And listen, feeling hopeful is the last thing that comes naturally. Feeling hopeful is like a joke. How can I be hopeful? How can I be hopeful when uh, I wanted my life to go this direction and it's going in the complete opposite direction? 
See, I, I, wish, I wish that things in life always worked the way that we planned or the work that worked the way that we had prayed for them to happen. But oftentimes, so many times, it doesn't go like that. And it's difficult. But this time, more than ever, we got to fight for hope. We have to learn what it means to persevere. I looked up uh, in the dictionary what it means to persevere, and it, to persevere means to continue in the course of action, even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. To continue in the course of action, even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. Now, I want to be really, really clear today what we're talking about. I want to talk about a theology of perseverance. Uh, and what we're talking about today is absolutely not uh, something that you're supposed to do instead of working for justice. This is not what you're supposed to do in substitute for getting, you know, tying up your shoes and getting ready to work. This is not a substitute for work. This is not a substitute for going after to seek justice. This is the fuel for seeking justice. This is the fuel to keep you going. This is the fuel that you're going to need in your tank to push through in times when times are difficult or when it look, doesn't look like it's a likely chance of success in your life. So what does it mean to, to persevere? I love the way Martin Luther King said it. He says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you got to keep moving forward. Renaissance, listen, if we can't fly, that's cool, we'll run. And if we can't run, fine, we'll walk. If we can't walk, fine, we'll crawl. But whatever we do, we have to keep moving forward. I don't know all the ins and outs of your lives. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know every couple that had a miscarriage. I don't know every couple that's struggling uh, financially. I don't know every person and all of the things that are going on in your life, your job, your, your housing situation. I don't know all of the details, but listen, I do know this. There will be times in your life where you're going to have to figure out a way how to fight to remain hopeful. You're going to have to figure out a way how to fight to persevere. And I think this scripture that we're going to look at today lets us in on a little secret. See, there's a couple different ways that we all deal uh, with difficult times. A lot, of tough, a lot of us, when difficult times, when suffering hits our door, uh, we naturally go into a shell. We naturally shrink back. We naturally pull away from all the things that uh, we were doing before because we just say, you know what? Forget it. All of that stuff I was doing before didn't work. All this following Jesus stuff ain't what it's cracked up to be. But then there are others of us who, if you knock them down, they'll get back up. You knock them down again, they'll get back up. You knock them down again, they'll get back up. And over and over and over again, they'll get back up. They're resilient. Paul was one of these people. Uh, we, we see the life of Paul in Scripture. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 says it like this. Uh, he says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and broken. We're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get, we get up again and keep going. Now, where do we get that type of resilience? I want that type of resilience. I want you to have that type of resilience. So this last couple of days, I've been praying over and over and over again, man, really thinking about what is it that would actually uh, help us in our lives to, to develop uh, the type of perseverance that we need to navigate life's difficult circumstances? What is it that you and I need to do to be able to persevere in, in, in the face of difficulty? What are the tools you need in your tool belt to be able to pull out in times when it's difficult, uh, when you feel like giving up or when you feel like choking somebody, uh, when you don't know what to do, what do you need to do? Where can we find this type of per perseverance? 
Now, if you have a Bible or, or an iPhone, um, if you have a drawer, keep it in your pocket. If you have an iPhone, turn to Lamentations uh, 3, 19 to 26. <laughs> I want to look at a good theology of perseverance, right? I'm going to give you guys a spoiler alert. See, there's two things that we'll see in this scripture. We see honest, honest prayers or honest reflections, and we see redirecting our attention to God. Now, let me give you a, a little background on, on the book of Lamentations. Uh, the, book of, the word Lamentation sounds kind of like a 1960s band, right? You got the Shy Lights, you got the Temptations, and you got the Lamentations, right? <laughs> Great songs, five number one hits under Barry Gordy. Uh, Lamentations was not that. Lamentations uh, actually means loud cries. And most scholars would say that uh, Jeremiah wrote this book. And Jeremiah spent uh, five chapters writing five different poems. And every single one of these poems, this entire book, is devoted to loud cries. Now, this book is not meant to be happy and gloss over details. This book is intended to dig into the deep, into the dark feelings that Jeremiah was experiencing. See, Israel was in the place of bondage. And what Jeremiah is doing in this book is lamenting. He's expressing extreme sorrow and guilt over the, of, over the nation of Israel. And we see in this book, all five chapters are, are, are devoted to this. Now, uh, the word literally means loud cries. And I don't know if you've ever been to like a funeral or something where somebody is crying loudly. I'll never forget the first funeral I ever did. It was for a beautiful 26-year-old woman uh, who committed suicide. And I will never forget the sound of her family as they made loud, loud cries. And this is what, uh, this is what the, the meaning of this book is. It's not nice. It's not neat. It's not cute. It doesn't fit into your day-to-day -day narrative. It won't make you feel all tingly on the inside. These are loud cries of somebody who is disrupted from within. And in this book, Jeremiah shows us the pattern by which me and you can learn what it means to persevere. I want us to look at what it says in verse 19 and 20. This is how it starts off. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. See, if you and I want to develop a, a theology of perseverance, if you and I want to be able to learn what it means to persevere, the first thing we're going to have to do is learn what it means to reflect on things honestly, not lying to ourselves to not gloss over details, but to be honest with ourselves and to God. Jeremiah breaks out a couple of details. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. See, Jeremiah doesn't minimize how he's feeling. He doesn't automatically jump and try to, you know, and Christians, I think, are the worst at this. We, we try to appear really strong for people. Hey, how you doing? Oh, man, you know, Lord is faithful, man. Lord is good. Uh, Non-Christians, we, we got a lot to learn from you guys in, in, in some of those ways. Uh, people who would just express the way they're feeling openly and honestly. See, we don't have to go to these platitudes of, of the way we, we, we want to feel. But Jeremiah here expresses exactly how he felt. So what would this look like in your life? It would look like you praying to God exactly how you felt still being single. It would be like you praying to God, expressing how you feel not getting that job again or not getting that apartment or being passed over again at work, or losing a loved one, or still being stuck in the same situation in your career, or feeling like a failure, any of these things, it looks like you getting on your knees and praying openly and honestly. See, Jeremiah doesn't mince words. He doesn't try to make it sound better. Uh, he uses a word here called gall. 
And basically, gall was a type of poison that they used uh, in the old days, right? So uh, you'll see it even in Matthew. Uh, sometimes when criminals were suffering on the cross, they would offer them uh, vinegar and a gall mixture. And what that basically would do is it was a poison that would help you breathe out, you, it would help you die quicker. So when they offered it to Jesus in Matthew 27, uh, 33 and 34, it says, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine mixed with a bitter substance, gall. But after tasting it, he would not drink it. See, the reason Jesus didn't drink the gall was because it was a poison. It would, it would asphyxiate you. And that's the way poison works. Poison uh, uh, doesn't let your body operate with the normal body function. So cyanide, for example, will, pre- will prevent uh, any, of your bell, any of your body's cells from receiving oxygen. And that you'll, you'll die eventually from it. So here's what Jeremiah is saying. He says, I remember this poisonous, toxic thing that was going on inside, and I remember it well. And what is he saying? He's saying, this situation in my life, this situation in our nation was literally taking a life out of me. This situation was literally sapping the life out of me. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't try to make it sound better. He is honestly reflecting on how he feels. Now, when Jeremiah said his life was this, he wasn't trying to uh, be pious. He wasn't trying to come off as more Christian or, or more, uh, a better person by, by not being open and honest. He simply let himself live in that moment. And if we're going to learn what it means to, to persevere, we're first going to have to learn what it means to stop and to be in the moment. Listen, if you're in a tough place, be there emotionally, physically, Pretending like it's not tough is not going to solve anything. If you are feeling uh, uh, enraged by what's going on in this country, feel that. Feel exactly that, and don't try to pretend like it's, like it's going to be all right. Everything is going to be okay. It might be okay, but feel exactly what you're feeling at the moment. One of the best questions you can ask somebody who's uh, not doing that well is, instead of saying, hey, how are you doing? Say, hey, how are you doing today? And give them space to acknowledge how they are feeling in that moment, right? So if you just, you know, uh, had a tragedy or something tough in your life, hey, how are you feeling today? And live right there in that moment. So Jeremiah was a man that knew God and he loved God and he still vocalized his anger, his grief, and his sorrow. And contrary to popular opinion, God is not against you being angry. God is not against you being sad. God is not against you being sorrowful. God can handle your anger, your sadness, your sorrow, your grief, all of these things. He can handle it. Trust me, he can handle it. And Jeremiah knew that. And this is why Jeremiah was able to persevere, because he knew first and foremost where he can turn to to unload his grief, his sorrow, his anger, his frustration, and his rage. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the book of Psalms. If if you're new to church, uh, the book of Psalms is a pretty big book of the Bible. It's basically songs uh, for the uh, ancient Jewish people. And uh, there's over 100 of them. And numerically, there are more psalms of lament, of people expressing sorrow and grief than there are of happiness. In the Bible, in the scripture, in the holy word of God, there are more more psalms devoted solely to expressing grief and sorrow than there are of anything else. God honors our lament. And lament means we trust God enough to bring everything about us to him. And in our lamenting, in our expressing uh, pain and sorrow to God, we bring God ourselves. We bring God the entirety of ourselves. And God honors it. Psalm 62 and 8 says this, Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. 
The first step on perseverance isn't getting over it. It's not feeling better. The first step in perseverance is honest reflection of exactly where you are. See, this week I had to spend some time just lamenting on how terrible things are going in this country. I just had to spend some time, God, this is not the way it should be. Race relations in this country are a nightmare. Even in this city, even in, even in, this, in, in, in this culture that we live in that's supposed to be advanced and progressive, man, there's so much division. Even in, in Renaissance, which is a, an extremely diverse church, man, we have so many people that are in vicinity with each other. You're next to people that aren't like you. You're next to people that don't look like you or don't uh, have the same background as you. But we're, we're rarely in community with each other. So you can be in vicinity and not in community pretty easily. We can lament. And God honors uh, our, our lament. God can handle your anger. He can handle your frustration. He can handle all of your emotions because he gave them to you. Now, we do have to be uh, careful on who we are expressing all of our, our, our emotions to, right? Lament is expressing our grief and our sorrow to God. Now, a lot of us have good friends in this room uh, who would love to love, love, love to hear us vent every now and then. But listen, if every time something goes wrong in your life, you call Keisha and them, right? You call Day Day and, and you let them know everything that's going on in your life that's terrible. Eventually, people are going to stop picking up the phone, Right? Nobody can, be the, nobody can be God in your life. Nobody can handle the entirety of your emotions. You can't just dump out all of your emotions on other people. Listen, lament, I mean, it's great to have friends that are there to vent to, and you should have friends who are there to help you shoulder the burden. But eventually, you're going to have to turn over the entirety of yourself, all your grief, your sorrow, your frustration, your sadness, your anger. You're going to have to turn that to God, not to people. So be very careful who we're lamenting to. Now, if we don't do this, if we don't lament, we won't be able to develop the perseverance unless we're honest with ourselves and honest with God. So you can, you can, you can lie to yourself for a little bit. You can lie to other people for a little bit. But eventually, uh, if you're going to persevere, if you're going to thrive, you're going to have to learn what it means to be honest with yourself and honest with God. Now, that looks differently for a lot of different people. Some of you guys need to every single day pull out your iPhone or your Droid and, and pull up the Notes app and just type what's going on in your life. Type how you're feeling or sit in front of a computer and journal how you're feeling or pull out, uh, you know, this, this might shock some of you, a piece of paper and a pen, right? And you go like this and you write physically. It's a crazy concept, but people still do it, I promise you. And you just write down exactly how you're feeling. And spend some time, right? When the days you're feeling overwhelmed, dump it out on a page. Dump it out in a, in, a, in a page to God. Dump it out in your prayer to God. Stand up and yell, but do something. But if we're going to learn what it means to persevere, we have to find ways to, to be honest with ourselves and reflect in good ways. Now, I find it interesting that uh, we have no problem sharing our good emotions with God, uh, but we, we, we suppress the ones that we think are bad. Right? So let me, let me give you guys a scenario. Right? So you are, it's Friday, it's 4.58 p.m. You get an email from a real estate broker that says, guess what? You won the lottery for that brand new luxury apartment building of a rent-controlled building, three-bedroom apartment. It's all yours. You can move in next week, right? But not only that, not only that, you're checking through your email, and Sally Mae has chosen you. Full loan forgiveness of everything that's gone in your life. And then, after that, to top it off, your boss pulls you into his office and says, you know what, I'm going to give you my job, and, which makes twice as much, and you do, uh, you do half of the work. <laughs> right? 
Now, nobody, none of you in this room would have a hard time if you came to church and I said, hey, praise the Lord, you'd be standing with your hands up, do a backflip off the chairs. Nobody would have a hard time expressing those emotions to God, right? God gave you good things. God allowed these good things to happen in your life. You would naturally pour that out. When it comes to anger and sadness and frustration and bitterness and all these different things, for whatever reason, we feel the need that we have to hide these things. But check this out. Listen, when we suppress these things, we dishonor God because God gave you these emotions. Like God gave us these emotions. He gave us anger, frustration, sadness, and all of these things. And it honors God to pour that out to him because this is how he made us. God gave us every single emotion. Now, it's not enough to only be willing to reflect honestly. We also have to uh, redirect our attention to God. It's a great first step to, to, to wrestle and to voice our concerns and our, and our frustrations to God. That's a fantastic first step, but we can't simply stay there. This is what uh, we see in, in, in Lamentations 3, verses 21 to 23. He lets us on a clue on the second thing we need to do to persevere. It is not enough to stay in the first says, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's what Jeremiah knows, and here's what he calls to mind so he can find hope. That there exists in this universe something more powerful, something more beautiful, something uh, more... Uh, something that could actually support the weight of everything we need, more than our problems, bigger than our situations, bigger than the illnesses, more uh, beautiful than the ugly of what's going on in our country. And Jeremiah takes some time to intentionally call something else to mind. He pauses after he's honest, and he says, I'm going to call this to mind. His uh, lament doesn't end with trouble. Uh, his lament ends with him thinking the right way about God. See, if you want to have a good theology of perseverance, you're going to have to think rightly about God. It can't end with how terrible things are going. That honest assessment is great, but it's, not, but it's also incomplete. When suffering hits our door, uh, you and I are going to be the most important people in our own lives because you're talking to yourself every single day. 24-7, you're having a never-ending conversation with yourself, and what you tell yourself about you and what you tell yourself about God is going to determine the way you feel. Now, a lot of us, we, we're in danger. Uh, we, we run the risk of, uh, of making our problems larger and larger by, uh, by meditating on them. We're meant to reflect on our issues and the situation and the way we feel. But these are not meant to be our meditations. These are not meant to be the things that uh, capture our minds, that we think about day in and day out. They're meant to be expressed and expelled and, and, and put on God, but they are not meant to be internalized and something that we think about day in and day, and day out. Have you ever thought about that, anything in your life, where it started as a small problem and eventually it's the only thing you can think about, right? Your job has become the only thing you can think about. Your relationship has become the only thing you can think about. Your apartment situation is the only thing you can think about. Because the more we think about things, the larger and larger uh, these issues become. And all of a sudden, your troubles uh, begin to define you and your troubles begin to identify you. Now. Even though we can have difficult experiences, these are not our identities. Now, uh, the key to good perseverance is good theology, a good understanding of who God is. Now, it's rooted in redirecting our attention to God. Jeremiah says it in uh, verse 21 and 22, uh, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
Where does your brain go when you're in trouble? Where does your mind wander to uh, when you feel afraid, when you feel alone? Where does your mind go when you feel overwhelmed or, or burdened or frustrated or sad? What's that one place? And here's what Jeremiah does. He says, I'm taking my mind and I'm calling to mind the love of God for us. Now, that sounds a little kind of pie in the sky a little bit. I want to I unpack that. Um, but there's only two possibilities that we're going to do. We're either going to look at our troubles. We're going to look at what's going on in Charleston, South Carolina. We're going to look at Confederate flags. We're going to look at these things. Or we're going to redirect our attention to the love of God poured out for us in Jesus Christ. And here's why. In difficult times, we, we, we run the risk of feeling like either God doesn't care about us or that God won't do anything about it. Right? right? In difficult times... We run a risk uh, after you've had your third or fourth miscarriage, right? You run the risk of feeling like God doesn't care about you or that God won't do anything about it. And here's what Jeremiah is saying uh, to all of us. He's saying we need to redirect our lives, uh, redirect our minds to the, to the love of God poured out for us in Christ. Jeremiah remembered God's faithfulness to Israel, that since God had delivered them before, he was trustworthy enough to give them hope to persevere. Now listen to this. Courage in your life, boldness and perseverance in your life is not going to come in you understanding every situation. It's not going to come in you having all the right people around you. It's not going to come in all the dominoes falling exactly like they should fall because newsflash, they're never going to fall like that. Our security and our courage is going to be found in us redirecting our attention to God and his love for us. Now you and I are in danger of being consumed by our worries uh, if we don't do this. And here's what the gospel message is, right? If you're new to church and we, you hear this word called the gospel, uh, a lot of people think you hear gospel, you hear a genre of music, right? You think of Fred Hammond or somebody else. Uh, but the gospel is this message that Jesus Christ uh, came and gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. That even though we didn't deserve it, especially that we didn't deserve it, right? While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. And there's nothing you did to deserve it and nothing you'll ever do to deserve it. And in these moments of difficulty, when we start to fear that God either doesn't care about us or God won't do anything for us, listen, we have to take our minds back to that hill called Calvary. And we have to think about the love of God poured out for us in Christ Jesus that, yes, that would cause uh, God to in, in come in through Jesus and give his life as a ransom for you and for me, even though we didn't deserve it. Now, that's the type of person I could trust. Now, even when all of the chips are, are, are not lining up in the way that they, I want them to line up, I can't ever doubt that God loves me or that God cares about me or that God won't do anything about it. I can't doubt that so much when I look at Jesus on the cross because that cross message is Jesus screaming at us, listen, of course I care about you. So much so that uh, God cares about us so much so that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. He gave us his son, so of course he cares about you. And the cross also stamps uh, on uh, this world that God will absolutely do something to intervene, that God is not silent. And even though God will never move on the timeline that we have for him, God will never move on our timeline for him, but God will intervene. This God of justice will intervene. Over these last couple of days, I've been thinking through uh, so much about uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and... Um, man, struggling to find hope in that situation. And, and I thought about the God of justice, the God of justice who will absolutely do something about it because he is a God of justice. 
And I don't know how it's going to shake out. I don't know what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in South Carolina or any of these states in the country or in the world, in Dominican Republic, when people get exported. I don't know what's going to happen in, the, in this world, but I do know that God is a God of justice. I want to explain it like this, right? Anybody in here play spades? Play spades? None of you play as good as I do, but, uh, right? There's no better feeling than when somebody's dealing out a deck than when you turn that card over and you see the big joker, right? It doesn't matter what your hand is. You can have like, 30, you can have like 12 hearts and then a big joker, and you're like, well, I got a good hand, right? <laughs> and here's why that's, such, that's, so, that's so meaningful, because you know that no matter what happens, you got a book. And if you need five and you got four already, it doesn't matter what else is going on in the game. It doesn't matter who's cutting what. It doesn't matter who's doing what. It doesn't matter who's saying what. You know that you got something that trumps everything else. So you can sit back, cross your legs, and smile because you got your stuff in, right in your hand. And this is what Jeremiah was saying to us when he's saying, but I, and I'm calling this to mind God's great love for us. Listen, yes, there's so many things going around, but we have something that trumps it all. We have the love of God for us poured out in Jesus Christ. And listen, so many things are messy around this world. So many things are messy in our lives. But if we're going to develop a good uh, perspective and approach to persevering, it has to be rooted in something that's not going to change. It has to be rooted in something that's going to be able to be a stake in the ground that can't be moved. And that for us is a gospel message that God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And not only that, but Jesus was risen from the, on the third day to die for our, um, after dying for our sins. I'm going to end with this, this, this thought about Good Friday. You guys heard about Good Friday. It's a, it's a thing throughout Christian, in the Christian calendar where Christians pause and commemorate and celebrate the death of Jesus uh, for our sins. And this is what uh, is so dope about Good Friday when you think about it in the lens of people that actually walked with Jesus. Good Friday wasn't good. See, they had followed Jesus expecting that Jesus was going to be a king. He was going to, make, he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel and this same Jesus, who they thought was the man, this same Jesus was, was, was struggling for air on a cross. And their God was dying right in front of them. Jesus wasn't a hero to them. God was supremely disappointing their expectations. And hear me on this. The way that God works in our lives won't always be exactly how we expected it to be. Sometimes God will fall way short of your expectations of him. But it doesn't mean that, uh, that evil will win. It doesn't mean that you have no hope. It doesn't mean that you can't uh, have all the confidence in the world and God because in the same way that the disciples struggled for hope in those three days, three days later, Jesus got up. And listen, your hope in this world is not on, you know, who gets indicted or who doesn't get indicted. That's not the hope. Jesus Christ is your hope of the world. That's the one thing that's never going to change. Brothers and sisters, uh, as we go forward, I, I want to challenge us this week. To, uh, to do something, to, to memorize uh, the scripture in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, if you have your uh, Bible still open, you can turn there. Uh, Hebrews 10 and verse uh, 23. Hebrews 10 and 23. If you have a pen, I want you to write the scripture down, and I want you to memorize it uh, this week. Every single morning, I want you to wake up, and I want, you to, I want you to read this. It says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters in this room. 
God, I thank you for a time where we could be open and honest and, and, and spend some time just exploring what it means to persevere. God, give us a hope that won't die. Jesus, let me pray. Amen.